Thanks for listening to the Family Perspectives podcast, brought to you by the BYU School of Family Life Student Editorial Board. I'm Madeline Sorensen. And I'm Tyler Clancy. And today we're going to be interviewing Dr. Shalom Levitt, Professor of Family Life here at BYU. Dr. Levitt was born and raised in Yakima, Washington. She began her college education at Brigham Young University studying economics. Dr. Levitt then attended law school at BYU. During her legal career, she taught law in Eastern Europe. It was there that she became interested in family relationships and how to create stronger bonds within these relationships. She finished a master's degree in marriage, family, and human development at BYU in 2010 and returned to Ukraine as a 2010-2011 Fulbright Fellow to research and teach on family relationships. She then attended Penn State, where she earned her PhD in human development and family studies. We're really excited to have Dr. Levin on today, and we're really excited that you're listening. So thanks so much, and we hope you enjoy the podcast. Well, welcome, Dr. Levitt. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insights with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Before we get into the details of your research and your scholarship, I would love if you could take a couple of minutes to share a little bit about yourself with our listeners and, and the journey that you took to end up here at BYU. Okay. Well, I grew up in Washington State, came here to BYU as a teenager, and I was an undergrad, uh, graduated in economics, and then went on to law school. And that's actually where I met my husband and practiced law for, for quite a while. I was practicing law in Eastern Europe when I kind of started to notice families deteriorating and, and some of the impact of some social issues that families faced there. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to go take a class when, I, when we move back to the States and, and see if I can make sense of this. And uh, that turned into a master's degree in uh, human development. And then I eventually got my PhD at Penn State, focusing more on relationships, um, adult relationships, marriage, cohabitation, and focusing on how sexuality really impacted those relationships, how it strengthened. Um, most especially, I focused on the positive aspects of sex and how it really strengthened and helped build relationships. And then I was hired here at BYU, which was a huge blessing to me, uh, kind of a, a dream. I love being here. I love the School of Family Life. I think we have fantastic students and we're doing so much good to strengthen families. So it's really it's a pleasure to be here at BYU. So Washington to Eastern Europe, back to Provo. Yeah. And it started with, you thought you'd just take one class and now you're, <laughs> that's, that's quite a career. Yeah. Um, and thanks for sharing that with us. I think one of the reasons that so many students enjoy taking your class is because you have that range of experiences, mm -hmm. um, not just from the, a theoretical perspective. What classes do you teach at BYU for our listeners? Can anyone take them? Do they have to be an SFL major, any upper division? What does your course load look yeah, like? Yeah, good questions. I have taught maintaining marital relationships. Um, it's 325, SFL 325. And then I teach two sections this semester of healthy sexuality and marriage, which is SFL 376. And then last, last semester, I taught a research class on sexual mindfulness, which is my area of research. And uh, so we had a class. It was kind of a small class. You were in it. <laughs> and uh, 
it was it was really fun because we could really dig into the research and and kind of dive deep. Definitely. Well, as someone who has taken several of your of your classes, I can vouch for the quality and the importance of these issues and really how it applies to our everyday lives. Um, and as you mentioned, the, one of the common themes that even beyond your research cohort of the Mindful Sexuality Project was mindfulness, even in marital relationships, in uh, healthy sexuality. I'll admit, the first time I heard you talk about mindfulness, the image that came to my mind was maybe like in uh, East Asia, in like a meditation <laughs> yoga studio, some yeah. incense. But I was, I was wrong. I was mistaken. Mindfulness is a lot more than, than that. Can you speak to us about the concept of mindfulness and why you find it to be so important in relationships? Yeah. Well, you know, Tyler, that's probably one reason I loved having you in class is that you would always probe a little deeper into whatever concept we were talking about. Uh, and mindfulness is no uh, exception. I think we need to understand that mindfulness isn't just exclusive to some Eastern tradition, that in reality, we have a deep mindfulness tradition within Christianity. Prayer, taking the sacrament, singing hymns, those are all mindfulness practices that oftentimes we don't think about in our own culture. But mindfulness is really nothing more than just the awareness that we bring to any moment of our life. And it's a quality of awareness, right? And so it does help to practice this mindfulness quality of thought. But some people are naturally more mindful, we know, than others. But that doesn't mean that those who aren't mindful can't practice, learn about it, and find ways to implement mindfulness into their life. The thing that I really love about mindfulness is that. It's something I can do every moment of the day. I can be practicing being mindful. I'm sitting here having this conversation with you, and I'm also trying to be really aware of what it is we're experiencing right here, how I'm experiencing it. And the other element of mindfulness that is so important to people's well-being is this element of non-judgment. Try to be kind and accepting to yourself for how you think and process life, and try to be kind and accepting to others. Most especially we find within relationships that that's really important. But just for an individual's well-being, to be present, aware, kind of curious about why we think the way we do, how we experience things, and then don't be so judgmental about it. I, I love that. And I think that's such a good concept too. You hear in a lot of, you know, talks about relationship where you want to be right first before you can be a good partner in a relationship. And that kind of goes back with that awareness, being present and saying, okay, who am I? You know, asking some of these big questions. So with all that in mind and seeing that impact, what does a mindful relationship look like? What, what would a relationship look like between two people who are trying their best, obviously not perfect, but trying their best to be mindful? Yeah, great question. I think that our research on mindfulness with individuals has come a long way. And what is just emerging is how mindfulness really impacts relationships. And we have quite a bit of research on it now. I mean, we're just beginning, but there's enough that we're seeing some real clear trends. 
But I think what it looks like in a day-to-day setting is in any intimate relationship, you're going to have some conflict, right? You're going to have some Mm. differences Mm -hmm. anyway. I think one way, my partner thinks another way. What do you do with that difference? How do you approach that difference? Are you aware of how it's impacting you just internally? How are you thinking about it? Are you already accusing or judging or you know, making your mm-hmm. rebuttal before you even listen Never. to what your partner Never. says. <laughs> right, right. We, none of us <laughs> would ever do that. Or are you kind of slowing down the process internally, really listening to them? And the word that I love is being curious about why you feel the way you do and curious about why your partner feels the way they do. And then maybe investigating a little. Maybe there's something under Mm -hmm. the surface that would really help us resolve this difference. So that's one way mindfulness helps. That's really interesting because I see that as such an antithesis, that kind of genuine curiosity and asking to figure out rather than like the cynicism that I think we see a lot today where it's, all right, what does this person want from me? What are the Exactly. What are you trying to get out of me? Yeah. Um, And I think that kind of brings to light how we subtly judge ourselves and others. You know, we automatically go to the critical interpretation instead of thinking, huh, I wonder why that's how you responded. I wonder why that's why how I responded. Interesting. That awareness is so critical. The more that you talk about it, the more I can think about that in my own life. And because if you're not aware of something, you can't deal with it. Yeah. Um, whether that's a, a problem or joy. Yeah. If you're not aware of, of joy, you're not going to enjoy life. Yeah. And that's really, I'm glad you bring up the positive side of it because not only does it help with, you know, alleviating conflicts or differences that people have, but it actually allows us to tap in to some joy that maybe we've tamped down because we're tamping down mm-hmm. other emotions. So now we get the full range of joy and love and connection. I was just listening to someone the other day talk about, they're like, I don't want to get a puppy because I don't want to lose it. Oh. I don't want to feel sad. Yeah. And um, I think so many people feel, feel that. And so I, I love this concept of mindfulness because I think it can, it can help us manage these chaotic yeah. emotions sometimes and make sense of it all. Yeah, let me say one other thing. I think it's important for us to understand that Grief is something that we need to sit with at mm. times. And you, you brought up the puppy example. You know, grief really is the, the price that we pay for truly loving. And so if you want to be sterile mm. and isolated from any emotion, then never love, never have any of those sweet, deep emotions. But realize that with it come some of these hard emotions that we can sit with and process and be a much deeper person for having gone through it. So what I'm really hearing you say is that it takes some, some deep courage to be mindful. <laughs> yes. To really take in the full range of what life has to offer. Yeah, because one of the reasons it takes some courage is that you will inevitably have to confront yourself mm-hmm. over some things that maybe you want to <laughs> weed out of your life, that you've let creep in that aren't such good habits. And being mindful will help you become aware of that. But hopefully, you won't be so judgmental that you'll be thumping yourself on the head. Instead, you'll say, well, you know, this is where I'm at. So where do I go from here? I love that. Well, with that in mind, let's transition for a second. We've talked about these 
you know, being aware of the positive, being aware of the negative, what that looks like in a healthy relationship. But a lot of what you teach about in healthy sexuality, in the Mindful Sexuality Project, is the interaction between mindfulness and sexuality. Mm -hmm. Some of our listeners might be wondering, okay, I get the mindful relationships, I get being a mindful individual, but sexuality? Yeah. Where does that come into play? Yeah, that's so interesting. I was, I was a sex researcher before I learned about mindfulness. And when I heard about it, I thought, wow, that has got to apply to people's sexual relationships. Mostly because we know that anxiety really increases during sexual experiences. And anxiety is kind of the enemy to sexual satisfaction or sexual pleasure. And so it eats away at people's ability to really connect with each other and to feel the sensations and to feel that connection within the relationship. So mindfulness, one of the mechanisms of mindfulness is that by slowing down and being less judgmental, being aware of the moment, we open ourselves up to these wow. deeper feelings, these deeper connections within sex. Mm. And that's really the purpose of sex. Sex is this beautiful gift meant to really bond a couple together, to help see them over the rough spots in their marriage. And after, you know, periods of time that pull them apart, whether it's just the work day or a, a hard experience or a disagreement, sex is a really nice way to come back together and show your love for each other and reconnect. And uh, yet we're not using that gift to its fullest potential. Interesting. And that comes to mind one of the things that you, you talked about in your class where it talks about in the Bible to multiply and replenish the earth yeah. and how, you know, sex does bear children, you know, multiply, but replenish kind of that rejuvenating spiritual, emotional connection, that, that replenish part. I like, I like that distinction yeah. that you made there too. Yeah. We have to, we have to renew ourselves, mm -hmm. right? And sex is a beautiful way for us to not only individually feel some, you know, increased energy and joy like the physical aspect. but yeah but it also connects us to this person that we love and want to give our everything to right and that's part of what sex is is sharing our body with our partner them sharing their body with us for the benefit of both people when you talk about it i kind of think to myself well why 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 isn't it so obvious because the way that you explain mindfulness leads perfectly into that sexual connection where being aware being present grasping the full range of emotions builds that deeper connection and what deeper connection can there be in marriage than the sacred bond of, of sexuality yeah. so I, I love that this it's a really powerful concept um, being present being focused being aware the quote i i like about mindfulness is you're not a human doing you're a human being yes so how can people like me without any formal training or maybe uh, people without any experience in this field Practice mindfulness in our day-to-day -day lives, whether that's in a relationship as an individual or in the sexual realm. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, just start off small. We don't need to make any big demands of ourselves, but just learn a little bit about mindfulness. One thing that I ask my students to do is to try to meditate for a couple of weeks, maybe a couple times a week. We know from research that a dosage of just 10 minutes a day 
makes a big difference mm-hmm. in, a, in a person's life. That's when we start seeing the, the positive results of mindfulness in an individual's life. So just there's lots of ways to meditate. You can certainly use silent meditation where you just try to focus on your breathing, kind of center yourself in your breath, because our breath is always with us, right? Mm-hmm. Every mm-hmm. single moment of our life, our breath is with us. So that's why it's such a good thing to focus on, you know, just this slow breathing in, this slow breathing out. But then for me, some other ways that I like to meditate that I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast was prayer. Prayer is a really nice way to meditate, just being present with God and not necessarily, I know in our culture, we kind of have a format of prayer where we ask for certain things and, or, and we're thankful for certain things, but maybe just be. Just be with God, be in his presence for a minute and just let yourself feel the spirit. And I think that that is one way that we meditate through prayer. Same with the sacrament. I particularly like walking meditations where you get a little active. So your heart rate is up and you're breathing pretty regularly and you just try to clear your mind. And this all takes practice, right? We don't get it the first time. And don't chastise yourself for letting your thoughts wander. A judgment. Yeah. Just yeah. let that go and say, oh, I just noticed my thoughts were wandering. <laughs> I'm going to bring those back yeah. and just focus on my breath. That's the more we doing. practice, the better we'll become. Well, there you go. You, the, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. <laughs> Absolutely. I hope our listeners are taking notes about some of the, the topics that we're covering and, and how, to, how to dig deeper. But do you personally have any resources or a website or anything that if someone's listening to the podcast and like, I, I would really like to dig a little bit deeper, where could, where could someone learn more? Yeah, we have a website that my lab all contributes to. It's research focused, but we have some pretty, you know, casual blogs that just kind of give you some tips for how to improve your relationship or how to apply mindfulness in your individual life, in your relationship, in your sexual life. And you can find that at shalomlevitt.com, C-H-E-L-O-M-L-E-A-V-I-T-T.com. And, you know, just check it out. See what different uh, topics are of interest. We also do a little reporting on an intervention that I ran a few years ago where we taught couples about mindfulness. And um, it's interesting just to hear some of their comments about how it helped Otherwise, pretty good, healthy relationships be even better. Hmm. It's not just, you know, taking something that's failing and trying to to fix it, but this is really just improving wherever we are. Absolutely. Wherever you stand, we can be better. Learning to connect. Yeah. Well, I want to give you the opportunity to close this out by reading one of my favorite quotes that you shared with us in your class. It's one I highlighted in my notes. Um, It's by the French poet Marcel Proust. He said, the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new lands, but in seeing with new eyes. And as you kind of alluded to before, in a world where we're so often conditioned to complete tasks, move to the next thing, move up the ladder, uh, go for the new shiny thing. Elder Uchtdorf gave a talk about in praise of those who save mm-hmm. and talked about how you know, we should really reject this notion of on to the next, let's do better, let's do this. But you're saying that mindfulness can really be the antidote for that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. There's a scripture, you know, the kingdom of God is within you. Mm. Um, As we just kind of 
maybe come back to ourselves, we see that it was always there. Our spirit, the influence of the Holy Ghost, all of those things are within us. If we'll just kind of shed all this unnecessary noise in our life and busyness, like you were mentioning, and just really start to be more aware of what has always been there. You are a child of God. If you can really take this journey that sometimes has to wander all over the place to finally come back to yourself and see who you always have been, I think mindfulness helps us with that. We slow down, we become more intentional, we shed all this unnecessary noise in our life, and uh, we find peace. We find joy and connection. I love that. And you're saying that the peace was always there. We just have to remember and, and find our roots, our divine heritage, our, our royal blood, yeah. you know, as some say. We've covered it up with all sorts of, you know, pollution mm -hmm. just from society, mm -hmm. from the own, our own attitudes that we've taken on. We just need to let that all fall away and realize that uh, we're divine and there's peace right there within us. Well, I can't think of a better way to close that out and such a message of hope in, in, a, in a tough time, a tough year. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast Thanks, today. Tyler. Thanks for sharing your thoughts, your insights, and the musings of your heart with us. So we appreciate it and we hope to connect with you soon. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Family Perspectives podcast. This episode was part one of a two-part segment on healthy sexuality. Stay tuned for more tips on how to fortify your family especially in regard to healthy sexuality within marriages in our next episode. <laughs>